just a little foreshadowing of what Christmas Eve service will be like with candles and Christmas carols. I've, I've been inviting several people from the community to come and, and join us in worship on Christmas Eve. Uh, for many of you, this will be your first Christmas Eve service uh, as a Christian. That's kind of unique, isn't it? You, have a, you, you come to Christmas Eve this year with a whole new perspective on what Christmas is. Some of you, this will be your first Christmas uh, as a baptized, committed follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, for some of you, this will be your first Christmas this year uh, as, a, as a covenant member of, of Cornerstone. And so we all are coming at uh, our worship service this year, maybe with a little different view. Listen, for some of you, maybe this is your 50th. Uh, Christmas Eve service as a, as a believer, and that's cool too. Uh, the one thing I've learned about, about uh, the nostalgia, I guess, of Christmas, it, it never gets old, and when it starts to get old, you come to a church Christmas Eve service, and we start lighting candles and singing about the birth of Christ, and something in your heart, any coldness that's there will just melt, okay? And you'll have a little fresh... A personal revival. So I want to encourage you to come, make it a part of your family tradition, and, and we'll, we'll see you here later this week. I want to talk about the Christmas story from the book of Luke. Uh, I presented something to you earlier this year, back in the summer, that for most of you was a very new concept. Most of you grew up in a very orthodox evangelical background, whether that was Independent Baptist, Southern Baptist, Church of Christ, Pentecostal, uh, there's a lot of other groups merging together here in this room, but that groups that I just mentioned are very orthodox evangelicals who are scared to death to give Mary any credit for anything. Because, and I'll just speak from my own history again, because I was raised Baptist, if anything sounds like it could be possibly associated with Roman Catholicism, it scared the Baptist to such a degree that they would always overreact in an unhealthy way. Mary needs to be talked about in our churches. Mary is one of the most important figures in the New Testament. And she needs to be discussed. Uh, yeah, I have some lines I don't want to cross. I, I don't think you need to be praying to Mary. I don't think Mary can save you. Uh, yeah, I don't think that. But could we not at least give her enough respect like you would give the Apostle Paul or Simon Peter or Abraham or Moses or some other godly figure in the Bible? Mary's willingness to say yes to God is why you're celebrating Christmas. Now, God could have found someone else, but He did. He found Mary. And all above everything else I want to say about her this morning... I want to say this, she was God's choice, shouldn't that mean something to us? That's a pretty big deal, right? She's God's choice, and Joseph was God's choice as an earthly parent to Jesus. And I want to say this about you, I'm looking at your kids right now in the room. You were God's choice for those kids. And that's a pretty big deal too, because your kids are precious, they're special, they're important. I believe they can change their world as well, filled with the Spirit of God. And so you being their parents is, is a sacred calling, and I want you to see your parenting in that light. It's, it's a very big deal 
These are not puppies or parakeets. These are human beings. This is a very big deal to be responsible for the life and the formation of another human being. And that's a sacred calling. And I think God has invested you with something very, very incredibly special. Now, just let me ramble for a few minutes. Uh, The first four books of your New Testament are Gospels. They tell the story of Jesus, their biographies. Gospel means good news, but it's framed in particular in the New Testament, meaning the good news about God has sent the fixer. God has sent his king. God has sent his Messiah to this earth to fix the mess that we are in because of our sin. And God sent his king to this earth. This is the good news. To die in our place on the cross of Calvary, to pay our sin debt, and to redeem us to a relationship with God. He was buried, he rose again the third day, and he said to everyone, get ready, because I'm leaving in bodily form after this resurrection, and now I am sending the Spirit of God, synonymous with the Spirit of Christ, synonymous with, I'm leaving bodily, but I'm sending God, it's like passing a baton, it's like if you, you, you redneck wrestlers, it's like a tag team wrestling match. It's like, tag, I'm out, you're in. And Jesus was out, and the Spirit of God came in, just like that. And what's unique about the Spirit of God coming in the opening of the Acts, Acts chapter 2, is when the Spirit of God came, He is not localized to one place. He is not limited because He is Spirit. Jesus was in a body, like you're in a body, And although you would like to be some days here in the Metroplex two places at once or three places at once, you can't be, unfortunately. But God in spirit form can be. He can be in you this morning and in me and in our disciples in foreign countries all at the same time this morning because that's the nature of a spirit form. So Jesus would say things like, it's good for you that I go away. You need me to go away because every one of you are going to be inhabited as living temples of the Holy Spirit. And that can't happen unless I go away and then we'll do the new thing that we're going to do. Now, those first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell that story. We've already told you the story of John, who was Jesus' best friend, one of the apostles. Last week I told you a little bit of the backstory of John Mark, the youngster, the youth in the teen department of the first church who was involved and discipled by Simon Peter and became a traveling companion later of Paul on missionary journeys and then was the first, actually hear this young people, youth led the way. The first gospel writer is Mark. Uh, Luke and John and Matthew, they wrote after they had read Mark's gospel and they said, wow, Mark crushed this. I've got a different perspective because I'm, you know, 10, 15, 20 years older than Mark. And so I'm going to write in some details that maybe Mark didn't know about. And they wrote their Gospels. But youth led the way. Are you hearing me? You know what Paul said to Timothy, a young pastor? Let no man despise your youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word and deed and truth. Lead the way. Okay? Lead the way. And don't, don't let youth hinder you at all from doing what God has put in your heart to do. If God's speaking a word to you, listen to God, and we're going to encourage you to lead. Lead while you're young, and Mark did. Now, Luke's a different character now. When you think of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and these people whose names are familiar to you who are churchgoers, we always think, well, these are, the 12, these are part of the 12 apostles. Mark was not one of the apostles. He was a kid in the youth department when the apostles were apostling, okay? 
When they were doing their thing, he was just growing up to be a traveling. He went on mission trips with them, but as a young man. Okay? And he got scared, actually, and came home from a mission trip because he got scared. And Paul got real put out with him. And then later, he and Paul made up. And, and, and later, Paul said, hey, I, I see such maturity in Mark. Now, send him back to the mission field. I need him desperately. He'd be a big help to me. And they reconciled their, their differences, and, and Mark really led the way in a whole new way. So, Luke. Luke was not an apostle. We often think, well, these are the apostles. Luke's not an apostle. Luke, uh, we're not for sure. A lot of people think he's a, a Greek, but uh, a lot of people think he's a Gentile and not, not a Jew. And so, they don't know for sure, but Luke is not there in the early, early days of Jesus' ministry. He's not in those narratives Luke seems to show up in Antioch after the resurrection, after Paul gets saved. When Paul gets saved, then Luke appears coming out of this Antioch ministry where Paul is teaching. And Luke then begins to travel with Paul. Now here's what we know about Luke. He's a medical doctor. Okay? And as a medical doctor, he's obviously got a formal education. He's trained. And uh, uh, Luke is... uh, proficient in writing. Luke is very, as Jeremy used the word, methodical in how he interviews. Luke is methodical in saying, Alan, can you, can you help them a little bit there, please, for me, Mr. Smith? Uh, Luke's very methodical in interviewing everybody who needs to be interviewed, and he'll get all the facts, and he'll assemble the data, and he'll just systematically lay it down however it needs to be laid down. Here's what I want to say to you. Luke's about to tell you the best Christmas story. He's got more to say about Christmas than any other writers. He's not one of the apostles. He came in later as a traveling companion to the Apostle Paul, a medical doctor who traveled with Paul. Paul's in prison. Paul said, only Luke is with me. Send Luke. Luke, bring me this. Luke, bring me a coat. Luke, bring me a quilt. Luke, I need something to write with. Luke, I need some medicine. Luke, come and help me in the ministry. And Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. Some people think he even wrote the book of Hebrews. So Luke's a proficient writer. Luke's books, Acts and the book of Luke for sure, are so long, they actually encompass more words on the page than the writings of Paul. So let me say it another way. You know Paul wrote half the New Testament? Book-wise... But Luke actually wrote more words in your New Testament than the Apostle Paul. So just put things in perspective. The book of Luke is like is volume one. The book of Acts is like volume two of Luke. Okay? Now we've got that all out of the way and you know who Luke is and, and how he wrote and what his mindset was. When Luke got ready to tell the Christmas story. Now I introduced this to you half a year ago. Many of you have never heard this. I want to repeat it because you need to hear it twice, maybe three or four times, to get in your head what Luke is trying to do in his Christmas story. Luke is not just going to throw the story out there and say, there it is, figure it out. Luke is going to be really clever in how he's telling you the story of Jesus. Luke gives you Jesus' birth backstory, essentially. And this is what I want to show you. Luke begins the story of Jesus coming into the world, not by telling Jesus' story, but Luke begins the biography of Jesus by telling the story of someone else. It's almost like you would read a novel and the author's going to set up some background material and then all of a sudden spring the real characters on you that he wants to write about. But he's giving you context to frame what's about to happen. 
And so Luke says, I want to tell the story of Jesus, but I don't know if my readers are going to fully get what's going on, so I'm going to back up a little bit, and I'm going to tell this other story. It's a very curious way to begin a biography, but Luke strongly believed that the story of Jesus must have the backstory, and there was something, here's why, there's something so unusual about the story of Jesus There's something so unusual about the birth of Jesus that you can't just tell that story about His birth without giving people some context before springing this story on them. If you do, they're going to freak out and say it just, these can't be the facts, this can't be right. But Lucas said, I've interviewed everybody, I've got the facts right, but just before I launch into that, let me set you up a little bit. So, Luke opens the story of Jesus by backing up six months and telling the story of another couple. Not Mary and Joseph. Telling the story of a couple, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. And so he says, I want to tell you their story first. And so when Luke opens, he grips us with the drama of an ordinary family. Ordinary, maybe not ordinary, because they're... Uh, they're of Aaronic descent. They're part of the priesthood of Israel. But they're ordinary people in, in Israel. And they, they do what they do. They go to Kroger and buy groceries. They go to the temple and serve. They do what they do. They do like you do. You have a routine you do every week. You go to work. You drop the kids. You buy groceries. You clean the house. That's the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. They're doing what they've done all their lives. And then Luke begins to tell you that they're old. Now, this is a significant detail in the story. So Luke says, I want you to know about this family, that this is an old man and an old woman. They're well beyond childbearing years. What I want you to know about this couple is they live in a culture that is a shaming culture. Now, I don't know what you know about shaming cultures, but shaming cultures are cultures that publicly persecute people who are not in the right class. Uh, India has a shaming culture. Uh, if you're old, if you're a widow in India, you're outcast, you're shamed. Uh, if you're poor and not born in the right family, you're a Dalit in Asia, you're outcast, you're, you're of the servant class, and you're, you'll always be there, and you can't break out of that caste in life. The American idea of you can be whatever you want to be does not exist in other countries. They confine you to your station in life, etc. And so the, Zacharias and Elizabeth lived in a shaming country where you were shamed if you were a woman and you could not bear children. It's like bearing children was like, you exist for bearing children, and if you can't, well, they, they openly laughed at you in the streets. They openly mocked you. Luke's very careful to tell you. They are old, and this woman is barren, and they expect Luke expects that you can fill in all of these details. You'll understand what kind of life she lived by just saying what he said. Now, you say, why is he telling us she's barren? Because Luke is still closing out the Old Testament with these writings. And Luke wants to pull you back into the Old Testament in your mind. And when he tells you Elizabeth is barren, and they're old, and they can't have children, did any of your minds go to the Old Testament now? And you're thinking about Abraham and Sarah, who were called of God to begin a new nation. And God names them prince and princess, and says you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham says... No disrespect, God, but I'm 100 years old. My wife's like 90. 
We've never been able to conceive a child. And now you want us to, to start a new people of God nation? How shall we have children? Seeing we're one foot in the grave. We are old and almost dead. Is like the language they're using in the book of Genesis. That's exactly what Luke wants you to think. When Luke starts with this story he's telling about Zacharias and Elizabeth being old and barren, he wants you to think of Rachel, who was beloved, and yet she could not have children, and she was mocked by her sister and by her sister's children, and she bore the shame like a heavy burden until God opened her womb and gave her. She eventually bore two sons to Jacob in kind of a miraculous way in the Old Testament. You see, Luke wants you Well, let me just say this in another way. We live in a day where churches are giving little 20-minute ditties and their people are starving to death spiritually. They don't know of enough Bible to fill a thimble. No one knows who the characters are in the Bible anymore. Luke has written a story in the New Testament referring back with allusions and he expects that you know all of this. What do we do in the modern church when modern Christians no longer know the Bible? Now when we read the New Testament, we have no idea what Luke's trying to say to us because our minds don't jump all the way back to Hannah. And Luke wants your mind to jump to Hannah right now. And he wants you to see a woman at the altar pouring her heart out, crying her tears almost dry because she's cried rivers of tears, begging God for a son because she's mocked and shamed because she's barren. And she said, God, if you just... Give me a child. I would dedicate that child's life back to you. And God miraculously gives her a son who ends up being one of the great prophets of the Old Testament named Samuel. Now, Luke expects that you're going to know these stories. He's got your mind ready for all of this. And here's why. He wants to set you up in a clever way so that when he tells you about what's happening in the New Testament... You don't say, that could never happen. Because he's already showed you that it's happened over and over and over again. And God has done unusual things all throughout the story of bringing his kingdom to earth. And he's done it through the most unusual set of circumstances and people. Ordinary people, touched by the Spirit of God, have done incredible things. And they're just waiting willingly for God to show up. And when God says, here's what I'm going to do. They say yes. Now, if you don't say yes, then God's not going to use you in that way. And that's a key also part of the story. I'll tell you another thing that's buried in this story is that this story reminds us that God has not forgotten about any of us. He hasn't forgotten about our needs. He hasn't forgotten about our fears. He hasn't forgotten about our health. He hasn't forgotten about our jobs and our careers and our educations and that we need to work for a living and that we need transportation. All the little things we have to deal with are also dealt with in the stories. So while God's working out the big thing that he's doing on planet earth, I want you to be assured this morning that all the little things you're dealing with this week and next week that that encompass your attention and cause you stress, take those to the Lord because he cares about all of those little details. Here's the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth very quickly. Luke 1, verse 5. John the baptizer is going to be their son. They don't know this. They're about to find out. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to a priestly division of Abijah. 
His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. They're of the priesthood tribe. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. Doesn't mean they were sinless people. It just means they were good people. Okay? They're good people. Okay? And they're doing their best to serve the Lord. Verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once, now it's going to give you a specific incident. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. In other words, he's a priest and the priests are over here and they're like, okay, who's going to go in there and burn the incense today? You know, rock, paper, scissors, you, Dame, and you go. And they cast lots, but it's a way of deciding which one's going to go in. And it, he, the lot fell to him. He goes into the temple all by himself to light the, the, burn the incense on the incense altar. Nobody else can go in there but him. Ten. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside the temple. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him inside the temple on the right side of the altar of the incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was startled. Why? Because nobody can go in there but him. You're only in there alone ever. And when you look up and there's a man standing there, it happens to be an angel. But when there's somebody standing there, yeah, it gets your attention all right. And we're not told anything about the appearance. It really gets your attention if he was eight foot tall. It really gets your attention if he shined, you know, with an intense... I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But use your imagination. When he looks up and there is the angel, he's shocked and he's scared. He's gripped with fear. 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. That seems to always be the kind of opening remark, doesn't it? It's going to be okay. Don't, don't, don't toss your cookies. We're going to be good here. Don't be afraid. I've come to tell you your prayer's been heard. Now, just a side thought right here. When do you think he was praying for a child? He's an old man now. I feel like he probably gave up on that prayer. I mean, you know, once you get old, you're just like, okay, I'm done. Not now. Yeah, 20 years ago, yeah, but come on. Now, <laughs> you know, I don't have the energy for all that now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, diapers and up all night and, you know, that dream's gone. When the angel says to him, your prayer was heard, in my heart at least, I think the angel saying to him, I can't prove it, but I think the angel said, God heard your prayer a long time ago. But the timing wasn't right. And if that's true of this family, I want to say to you this morning, it may be true of your family. There may be some things you're praying about starting businesses and furthering your education and, and, and doing some different things in your life and starting, you know, your, your family planning and having children or, you know, retirement. And you're, you're, you're making plans and you're praying sometimes and you feel like God's not answering and you wonder, does he really hear my prayers? The Bible guarantees that he hears your prayers. Amen? But sometimes like a parent would say to a child, not now. Listen, buy me a car. Not now. And kids think not now means, well, you're not going to do it. No, it means not now. It means the timing's not right for us as a family right now. doesn't mean I don't want to do good things for you and bless you and, and see you have your independence. Not yet. And many times God is saying to you and I, not yet. Just, just hold on. Now again, when you get to be a hundred like Abraham, you think, wow, that ship really sailed. But listen, God will surprise you sometimes. 
Now, I usually preach to the young people. I don't often preach to the old people. I want to say something to the old heads for a minute. God's not done with you, old codgers. Okay? And I'm talking to all you 50 and up people like me. You've got a lot of life left in you. I went into the nursery where Lisa's volunteering this morning. She's my age. And, and, and I looked her in the eye and I said, God called your husband home and he did not call you home. And he did not call you home because he has things for you to do. Now, once you get through mourning, you go engage. I want you to go to Burma to meet Mary where those shoe boxes are and teach them how to make disciples. And you get on the mission field. God's got a lot of things to that for you to do. And you're not going to sit idly by. And as your pastor, I'm not going to let you. I love you. Let's cry. But later, I'm going to kick you and push you out the door and make you do something. You say, why? Because God's not done with us. If he's done with us, he'll call us home. Right, Dolores? But he's not done with us. So you find what you can do and you keep praying because you say sometimes, well, God hadn't heard my prayer. He heard every prayer you've ever prayed and he has an answer for you. But sometimes it takes a while. And long past the time you've given up and said God hasn't heard, he's going to show up one day and say, okay, here we go. And you're going to say, here we go, What? And he's going to say, here we go with the answer. Yes, it's the answer. Let's go. And you're going to be saying, to what? To the thing you've been praying about. Let's get it on now. Yes, start the business. Yes, do the thing. Okay? So don't let God take you by surprise because Luke is saying, God works this way. Okay? He does things like this. And Luke has told you this story about Zacharias and Elizabeth. You're going to have a child. Wow, go tell your wife. Praise God. Now, Luke's told this story because God's got a bigger surprise for you coming in a few verses. There's another lady about to have a baby, and she hadn't even had sexual relations yet. Wouldn't that be a surprise? Wouldn't that be a surprise? That would be a surprise. So you understand why he told a backstory now? Because he wants you to be pulled into the Old Testament stories. He wants you to be pulled into Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. And now he's going to tell you the really big story he's got. Here's a woman that's about to have a baby in the plan of God. And there are no man involved up to this point in the conception of the child. Now, this is a bit uncomfortable for all of us. Because we're, we're kind of a weird culture that's very sexual. Yet, in the religious side of our culture, no, we pretend like sex doesn't even exist. Isn't that weird? It's kind of a weird thing. The other cultures are much more open, I think, about sexuality in general. And I, I don't know how Mary felt about this. I, I'd love to ask her someday how she felt about the whole world knowing about her sexual history. Would you like me to put that shoe on your foot for a moment? How would you like for 2,000 years of, of Western culture and Christianity every year to focus on your sexual history and discuss it through the month of, of December you know, uh, about the partners you had or haven't had and how God's going to do a miracle. It's just kind of an uncomfortable thing, isn't it? But the Bible's very clear about talking about her purity and talking about she had never had relations with a man because God wants to also set up in your mind that, see, it takes a lot of risk to write a story like this on black and white on paper and put it out to the world. These biographers took a big risk to put this down because they knew people would laugh at this. That's why he tells the backstory, and that's why he sets it up with the other story because he wants you to know God's always done stuff like this. And if God can give a hundred-year-old couple a baby, God can give a woman a baby who's never had intercourse with a man. God can make people all kinds of ways. He made a man out of the dirt of the ground and made a woman out of the man. God made a woman using only a man. God made a man using neither a man or a woman. 
At the birth of Christ, God made a man using only a woman. So God can, see this is the way the Bible writers would set it up. Let God do whatever God wants to do. You are not allowed to say to God, you're not allowed to do that, God. I, the, one of the great theologians, uh, thou mayest not say to the Holy Spirit, thou mayest not. You're not allowed to say that to the Holy Spirit. You're allowed to say only to God, Lord, whatever you want to do, do it, okay? And I'll be a willing player in it. So now Luke fast forwards the story six months. I'm reading. In the sixth month, Elizabeth now is showing. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now God sends an angel to the other side of Israel, the northern part. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now we're going to get his backstory. He's not from the priestly tribe. He's from the king tribe. That's from David. King David's people now we're talking about, okay? To a virgin pledged to a married to be a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. An angel shows up. God's taken notice of me. Now, I've got to pause here in the story and tell you that Mary's a teenager. No one knows exactly how old she is. The estimates go as early as 13. Nobody thinks she's older than 18. You have to understand that in this Eastern culture of arranged marriages, uh, I don't know delicately how to say that, when, when her cycle begins and she becomes a woman, they marry them off. So you can be married off at, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 and the marriage is arranged and things are beginning. She's a teenager, probably a young teenager. This is the way of the world in this era. It's not for you to judge. You don't have to weigh in right or wrong. It's the way the world was, and it's just a fact. Now, you know you're, you've raised some teenager, and you were a teenager. When you're a teenager, you don't always know how the world works. You're naive about a lot of things in life. You don't have tons of experience with the finance and, and buying houses and buying cars. You've never balanced a checkbook, maybe. You've never filled out an IRS form. You've never paid your tax. There's so much you haven't done in life. To be hit with all of this at once at the age of 14 or 15? You talk about mind-blowing moment here. Mary's a hero of our faith. The fact that she kept herself together through this. As a teenage girl, listen, the angel shows up and says, listen, blessed are you, and God has taken notice of you. Let me read verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary's like, what? I haven't graduated from high school. How shall this be? Now, I'm naive, I get it. But here's her real question. How shall this be since I'm a virgin? I grew up in an agrarian society, Gabriel. I know about chickens and ducks and cows and I mean, you grew up on a farm, you know a little bit about reproduction, okay, in the agrarian world. She's like, I know a little bit about a little bit, but not a lot of bit about everything, but I know this can't happen. How can this be, seeing I'm a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered and said, well, here's how it's going to be. 
the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to pause right there. I preached for six weeks about the Holy Spirit recently. And more to come. We have not made enough of God's Spirit living in us. You may be looking at your own life saying, how are we going to get through this mess? The Holy Spirit. How am I going to pass this test? The Holy Spirit. How am I going to be able to get over this anger? The Holy Spirit. How am I going to get past grief with the loss of a loved one? The Holy Spirit. As I hugged Lisa this morning, I want to say this out loud because she she would affirm this. Some of you have lost loved ones in the last few years. Just look me in the eye for a moment. Let me minister to you. You'll never get over it. You'll never get over it. Nor should you. A part of your life, someone you love deeply, the Lord has taken from us and they are with the Lord. You don't get to get over it. That would minimize their life. It would leave a hole. Every time you bury him, Spencer and I were just talking about you buried his mom. It was one year ago, like right now, right? So you're not going to get over that. That's minimalized what her life meant to you. You're going to carry that forward. And you're going to love her memory and cherish all that she poured into you and all that she did to make you the man that you are and how much she loved your children and loved your wife. You're going to get over it's the wrong word. It's not going to happen. We're going to learn to deal with it. You say, how are we going to move forward with our lives? The Holy Spirit will minister comfort. The Holy Spirit will give us strength. The Holy Spirit will lift us with His power. The Holy Spirit will fill us with love. The Holy Spirit will give us the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I just want to say to you, whether it's the loss of a loved one or financial crisis or I can't seem to land the job and I don't know where my career is going and my kids are mad at me, what am I going to do? The Holy Spirit is going to get you through it. He is your answer. And you must lean on Him. You must yield to Him. You must say, do for me what I can't do for myself. I need you. You must open yourself to acceptance of the power of the Spirit in your life. Angel Gabriel, Mary says, how shall this be? The Holy Spirit is going to make it happen. The Holy Spirit is God as a doer. The Holy Spirit was there at the day of creation moving over the waters. The Holy Spirit has come into your heart and regenerated you and born you again to new life in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the doer of God, if you want to say that. Whatever God is doing, it is the Holy Spirit that's doing it. You've never met Jesus. You've met the Holy Spirit. So I can say this, you have met Jesus. (laughs) But in spirit form called the Holy Spirit. I know, it's kind of double talk and I'm not trying to confuse you, but the Spirit of God is God that you have met, God you have experienced. We often say, well, I received Christ into my life. You did, but not Jesus the man. How did He get inside of you? He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He ascended in Acts chapter number 1. When you say, I received Christ, what we really mean to say is, I received Christ in spirit form The Holy Spirit of God lives in me. And you're going to do what you do in this life by the power of the Spirit if you're going to be a successful Christian. Mary's like, how should this be? Gabriel's like, Holy Spirit, he can do all this stuff. He's God. Holy Spirit's going to come up on you. Now, here's what 
he says, okay? The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her age. So these crazy things do happen. And we've already set that story up. Your, your cousin Elizabeth is, is, is six months along. She's going to be due shortly. Probably needs your help. And, and she who was unable to conceive, she's in her sixth month. For no word from the Lord will ever fail. Listen, if the Word of God says it, it's going to happen. No word of the Lord will ever fail. Now, here's Mary's response, and we don't make enough of this. Mary didn't just say, well, that's interesting. This is worded in such a way that maybe in English it doesn't come across what's happening here. Mary is consenting. Mary wasn't raped by God, as one modern author has written. Mary wasn't sexually abused and overcome by God and she had no will and this higher power just, you know, forced him. It's not like that. It's not the story of the Bible. Luke's saying Gabriel appears and says, here's God's plan. Now I need you to weigh in. We believe in human free will. You need to weigh in. You have a decision to make today. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to bring you into His family and adopt you as a child, wash your sins away and fill you with His Spirit and give you a new life in Christ. What do you got to say about that? Yes would be a good answer, okay? Yeah, but that's your choice. He's not going to force His way into your life and kick down the door of your heart and say, I'm here and I'm taking names. He says, I love you and I want a relationship. But a relationship means you must say yes. This is Mary's version of consent recorded in the Scripture. Here's what she says. I am the Lord's servant. In other words, whatever you say, my answer is yes. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled If God wants to use me to bring His King into the world, my mind is blown right now. I have a million questions to which I don't have answers. You've told me it's going to happen and the Holy Spirit's going to do it. And right now, I'm going to think about all of that. But my answer, even though I don't have my questions all answered, my answer is yes. Now, whatever's going on right here, I want to impress upon you this morning. That needs to be happening in your heart right now. God is not going to show you a road map of your life and tell you, here's my five-year plan for you, here's my 10-year plan for you, here's my 15-year plan for you. I want you to live here for a few years. I'm going to upgrade you over to this house. I want you to work here and get a skill set, and then I'm going to give you a chance to go entrepreneur over here. And I want you to... That doesn't happen in our lives. What God's going to say to you is, I'm going to open doors in front of you. I'm going to give you opportunities. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And he's going to show you where to move and what to do. And all you need to do is yield to the spirit and say yes to God. God has your best life in mind, not your worst life. He's not going to hurt you. He's not vindictive. He is like a father with children. He wants to bless his children. Just the way you want to do good things for your kids. Listen, if you had unlimited resources and unlimited knowledge and unlimited potential, the way you would want to bless your kids and set them up for success, like a father with his children is what God wants to do. But let's trust his timing and let's say yes to his opportunities. Mary says yes. Now Mary, Mary's cousin's old. Let me hurry quickly. Mary says, okay, I'm going to hustle down across Israel By the time I get there, I'll get there just in time to help her set up the nursery, paint the walls, go shopping. I'll host a baby shower for her. She's an old woman. uh, She's already buried maybe her relatives down there. 
since I'm her cousin, I'm just a young woman, and I'll go down there and help her actually deliver the baby, and I can help her, you know, clean the house, and I can be there in those early days. What if she has complications? She's an old woman, and I'll be there to help her get started with this, this, this whole process of the, the, the birth and, and the recovery afterwards. Now, take up the story, Luke one thirty nine. At that same time, Mary got ready and hurried to a hill town across uh, the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, knock, knock, knock. I'm coming in. Is anybody there? I went to my cousin's house last night for our family Christmas on my dad's side. I didn't wait for him to answer the door. It was just like bang, bang, bang. And I opened the door and said, hey, we're here. We're coming in. You know, hope you're dressed. Here we come. That's the way you do family, you know what I'm saying? And that's what's happening here, I think. Mary's like, bang, 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 I'm so excited, I can't, I can't wait to see this baby bump you got. And she rushes into the house, here's the conversation. At that time, Mary got ready and hustled down and she greeted her. And uh, Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the real pouring of the Holy Spirit hadn't happened. That's Acts 2. This is a foreshadowing. So let's just think about this in a couple of minutes here. What's happening? God in a physical body called Jesus Christ is now inside of Mary. Just a peanut. Okay? She's not even have a baby bump yet. Okay? But God in a body is inside of Mary. Now, that's pretty unique, right? (laughs) Mary is greeting Elizabeth, who's got John the Baptist in there, six months or further along now, okay? And when Mary, bearing the body of Jesus, walks into the presence of John the Baptist and Elizabeth, the Spirit of God filled them, John and Elizabeth both. They were filled with the Spirit of God, came upon them, and John the Baptist is leaping. Now, I wish I... Well, I don't wish. I'm going to take all that back. <laughs> I have no perspective. I almost said I wish I could explain this. No, I don't. I take that all back. Uh, and I think it's really weird that a man would want to have a baby. I just want to throw that out there, okay? I have no desire to give birth. Um, but I think we could... Over lunch and over a hamburger, poll our spouses and our friends here, and we could say to them over lunch, hey, did you have an active child? Some of you had very calm children. Did anybody in here have like, you know, the dancing John the Baptist in your womb who flipped and flopped and I'll tell you a weird story, Susan will hate me. We were laying in bed one night. We were laying in bed one night. I don't know, she's way along. We're like a few weeks out, okay? from heaven, Andrew, we're laying in bed, and you know, I will say, this whole thing is fascinating from the man's point of view, just to watch the whole transformation of your wife and the miracle, of, it's just, it's a mind-blowing thing. I also would say this, just free advice this morning, I think we could solve a lot of teen pregnancy if we'd make teenagers go watch a delivery. If you've been on the receiving end of that view... It'll make you think about a lot of things. You know, I'm serious. It's a sobering moment. And also this moment where you're like, I can't believe my wife can do this. 
and bring life into the world in this way and go through this pain. It's just, the whole thing's mind-blowing to me. Fascinating. We're laying in bed one night, you know, in that big old belly of Susan's face in the sky. And she's like, this guy is ready to come out. I mean, he is just flipping and flopping and elbowing my spleen and my bladder and everything in there. And all of a sudden, while we were talking, the skin on her stomach, a whole hand came up just like this. And I'm like, it's an alien. He's coming out right now. It's coming out like that, you know. It was the wildest thing. I don't know if he knew we were talking about him or whatever, but you just see that hand come up like, get me out of here. I'm cooked enough, you know. Listen, this is amazing because this is real life. Mary walks in. The baby's filled with Elizabeth. And here's what happens. When the Holy Spirit fills them, you have God in Mary, God in spirit form coming over her cousin and John the Baptist. And here's the big question, and I need to close really quick. Here's the big question. What happens in that moment? What happens when humans get in the presence of God? What happens when humans recognize God is there? What happens when we are in the presence of the Spirit and in the company of other believers who are filled with the presence of God? And here's what I want to say to you. What happens every time is worship. Praise. Now, it happens to be two women. Don't let that freak you out. One of them's about to start preaching. And one of them's about to start leading worship. And the, God, encountering humanity, leads to what creation was all about. Intimate fellowship where man worships God and reflects God. And in the presence of God, there is this blissful euphoria of worship that you never want to end. And this complete satisfaction in the presence of God. We worship in the presence of God. Luke 1.42 And a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed. Now, loud voice, exclamation points. Voices are being raised. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child. She starts a sermon right here. Blessed is... Now, listen to me. When you get filled with the Spirit, there is some common thread in the New Testament. Many people in the New Testament filled with the Spirit lifted their voices and exclaimed. Lifted their voices and proclaimed. Listen, if you get a word from the gods, uh, God, if you get a word from God somewhere along the way, let her rip. I mean, probably not right now while I'm talking. This is my moment, but some, somewhere in your life, if God gives you a word, let the word go. Articulate the word. You say, is that allowed? Spirit-filled people speak on behalf of God. That's what they do. I was getting my hair cut yesterday, and I sat down in the chair, and every time I get a decent barber, she sells to Timbuktu, and I have to get a new one, and Spencer, I'm just going to shave it and be done with it, man. It's just, anyway. I sat down yesterday, and I'm like, hey, just, you know, clean this mess up a little bit, and I started witnessing to the girl I've gone to three or four times now. And I just started talking to her about Christ. And, and in that moment, it just felt right. She opened the door. She was a little blue looking. I said, Merry Christmas. She said, yeah, not so much. I said, well, I'm so sorry. She said, somebody just stole a bunch of money from me. My school loans are coming. She had a story, and it was real. And man, I just felt in that moment, God's Spirit say, you can solve part of this. You can solve part of this right now. When I was done getting a haircut, I went over and gave her a $300 tip. 
I don't say that to put my arms out before you, but I just want to say that to you. I don't do that very often. I don't have that kind of clout to do that. But I felt like the Spirit of God spoke. And when the Spirit of God spoke, I'm trying to learn, practice what I preach. And when the Spirit of God spoke, I said, okay. And then I said, how much? And I felt like he gave me a number. And when I put that down, the lady about choked when I checked out. And my prayer is I'm going to lead that girl to Christ eventually. I just want to say to you, when the Holy Spirit shows up, whatever he says, that's it, okay? Let's do it. Elizabeth starts preaching. She's like, blessed is the child. She just starts preaching. I, where she got inspired with just the Holy Spirit gave her this message. And, and here's what I want to say to you. I've got a lot of sermon here and I have no time, so you need to let me summarize. Luke is being so clever in what he's writing. I want to challenge you to go find the sermon I preached on We Believe in the Virgin Birth in this previous series. And listen to that sermon this week. Here's what Luke does. Luke now starts using phrases from the Old Testament. And Luke starts painting a picture of Mary as the tabernacle of the Old Testament. The tabernacle was this wooden box where God met with men. You remember that? That Indiana Jones thing, right? That Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark of the Old Covenant is where the presence of God came and met with mankind. And here's the language used in the Old Testament. The cloud overshadowed the tabernacle. And the presence of God came and dwelt between the cherubs. And in the presence of the tabernacle, they raised their voices and shout and blew trumpets and lifted up their voices. And with loud voices they sang and with loud music they played. And David leaped and danced. John the Baptist leaping. And Luke is being so clever in what he's doing. He's totally framing Mary in unmistakable covenant, Ark of the Covenant language and saying to you, when this woman is walking into the house, she is the new covenant, new Ark for the new covenant. The old Ark is gone. The old covenant is about to be gone. And the new Arks are people. Not buildings, not boxes. Not paraphernalia, not inanimate objects. God's about to do the biggest thing He's ever done. He's going to save us and He's going to put His Spirit in us and each one of us are going to be living temples of God. That's the language that's being framed. And it's a foreshadowing. Elizabeth is preaching a sermon and then all of a sudden, Mary starts leading the worship. Now, if you're up in the booth, go to point three. Wherever we meet with God is a holy place, so... Listen, Mary says, listen, you're, you're kind of praising God. I'm so filled with God's spirit and presence. I want to start singing a song. Now, Mary's Christmas song is actually called the Magnificat. Now, if you was raised Roman Catholic, you know all about it. For all of you who raised evangelicals, you know nothing about it. Because we wouldn't talk about it because it's Mary. We're over that, okay? This is really important. Mary starts singing... And the song she sang for 2,000 years, your spiritual forefathers called this Mary's song, The Magnificat. Now, I'll tell you why. Magnificat. Uh, when Mary's song is translated into Latin, in the first centuries of the church, they were using Latin in the Roman Empire. It's the language of the Roman Empire. 
along with Greek. When they translated it into Latin, the opening words, you have a picture of this. Up the, here's some of the art of Europe. Here's Mary with child. If you could read that right-hand page right now, you would see the first word is Magnificat on the page. These are famous paintings in Europe. Do you have this one of Mary and Elizabeth? Mary and Elizabeth with child. There's an there, there's open book in front of them. But here are the words. See here at the bottom? Magnificat, aia, mea, onum. Now that's, a, that's like using contracted words. The real words are these. Magnificat, anemia, mea, dominum. My soul doth magnify the Lord, is what it says. In Latin, it's exactly what is written in Luke 1.46. Okay? So the Song of Mary, because the early church spoke Latin, is Magnificat, is what they call the song. The first word of her song, where she says, My soul does glorify the Lord. She's pouring out her praise. I'm going to read it for you. And Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For God has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now all generations will call me blessed. Unless you're Baptist. Now we're done with that, okay? We're going to honor this. Mary said all nations will call me blessed. You know what the angel said? Blessed are you. Hell thou that are highly favored. The Lord's chosen you. I just want to say publicly, if Mary's good enough to carry the body of Jesus and to be God's choice, she's good enough for my respect. We honor her, not above Jesus, but I honor a teenage girl just the same way I would honor a teenage Daniel who put his life on the line for God. I honor a woman who as a teenage girl put her reputation and future and life on the line. You see, you and I have plans about how we think life's going to go. I love looking through the eyes of our teenagers because they've got this idea of how it's going to go. They're 20-year-olds in college. They've got this idea of how it's going to go. And that's great. You should do that. Pursue that 100%. I just want you to know, it'll take a few turns you didn't see. Because there are very few adults in this room who are doing professionally what they thought they would be doing. Is that true? You adults bear witness to your kids for a minute. Some of you knew from childhood what you'd do. That's great. Most don't. Okay? And I'm sure Mary had some ideas about her life would go. It didn't go the way she thought. But let me just say this. When she said yes to God, it went better than she thought. She is the most well-respected woman in the history of the world. Say why. She said yes to God. And God did a work through her life. So she sings this song. Let me finish her song. Verse 48. For God has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation. Can I just pause here and say this? She's quoting the Old Testament phrase after phrase. So whatever this song was she composed on the spot is born of a collection of Scripture she had hid in her heart as a teenage girl. There is a reason to hide God's Word in your heart. And part of the reason you want to hide it in your heart is so you can praise it back to God. Let it flow back to God, okay? 
And so she just starts pouring out this song. 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those that are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants, just as he promised our ancestors. God will always keep his word to us. You may even ask yourself, why did Luke slow down the story to record all of these words? i got a better question. How did Luke know these words? How does Luke know what Mary's saying to Elizabeth? Luke's not writing this for another 50 years. How did he know this? I've only got one answer to that question. Somewhere along the way, Luke got to know Mary and sat down and said, I need to get this on paper before God calls you home. Tell me the story of Jesus. Tell me the story of your teenage years. I was with my uncle yesterday, and he did something that I've never experienced in all of my life. I mean, I'm, I'm 54. He was in Vietnam. He's never talked about it. He was in a mass unit as a, I don't know what the right word is, corpsman. Is that the right word? Does triage on soldiers that are wounded. For the first time in my life yesterday, he started talking about being 20 years old and being drafted and getting on a plane, you've never been on a plane, getting on a ship, you've never been on a ship, getting on a train, you've never been on a train, getting shipped off to war, and all of a sudden you're dealing with just carnage and blood and guts. He's never talked about, just he was just crying, and he just talked about stuff that I've never heard him talk about, and I hugged him and I said, I needed to hear that. I didn't know that. I needed to hear that. He said last night, he said, I don't know why we quit. We just walked away. What was it all for? You know, that kind of thinking. He was really hurt and he was really emotional. It impacted me and I thought, I needed to hear that. I want to say this. We need to know Mary's story. We need to know stories. We need to know people's stories. And Luke said, we've got to get this written down because I want to tell this for the rest of history. I want the world to know What God has done through your life, Mary, tell me how it went down. Only Mary knew these details. You don't know the details of your birth. You weren't there. Well, you were there, but you weren't there. All you cared about was something to eat. Changed in my diet. Only Mary knew these details. Luke interviews her. She gets them down on paper. Here's what I want to say to you. Mary sings out this beautiful song. Because Mary and Elizabeth and all of Israel had a dream that God would keep his promise. Ladies and gentlemen, our world, like their world, is in a mess. And we know it is. And all people, all kinds of people and all kinds of leaders have all kinds of ideas. And we want the best ideas and we want to do the very best we can. But all of us know down deep in our heart that until God sent his fixer, there was no fixing it. But the good news we have this morning is that God has sent his fixer now. This is the story of Christmas. I hear a lot of people say, well, I want to get into the spirit of Christmas. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of the Holy Spirit. That is the spirit. Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christmas. He is the one who came to this. He is the one who gave us Jesus. He is the one who now fills your heart with the presence of God. If you want the spirit of Christ to rise in your heart, we're talking about the Holy Spirit of the living God. The way that happens in your life is to say yes to Jesus Christ. When you say, yes, I receive you, Jesus Christ is my Savior, God 
puts his spirit in you. He adopts you into the family of God and he forgives your sins and he sets your life on a completely different course. Thirty years before the crucifixion, Mary's already singing the song. She's already saying, God will redeem Israel. God will keep his promise. God has sent his child to save us. God has sent the fixer to the world. Basically, Mary's saying, you all start singing now. The revolution has begun. God has sent his king. Listen, Christmas is all about singing. We're going to come together on Christmas Eve and we're going to sing, sing, sing. You say, why? Let the singing begin. God sent his fixer. Yeah, the world's still got problems, but it's going to get worked out now. We know it's going to get worked out. And it's already being worked out through us, through our lives right now. I already have a relationship with the fixer. He's already fixed my biggest problem. Now I've got some other problems to work out, which is a new body, but I'll get that eventually. My big problems of sin have all been covered now. And listen, what God wants to do is He wants to fill your life with His Spirit. He wants you to be a living temple like they were. Now Mary gave birth, obviously, and Jesus went out of her life in a physical way, and she had to be saved and filled with the Spirit in the same way you have to be. Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist, and he went out of her body, when she had to be filled with the Spirit in the way now that we are. And that's fine. That's normative. That's for all of us. The big news of Christmas is God has not forgotten us. God has sent His fixer. The King has arrived. Heaven has come to earth. Merry Christmas. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Father, we bow before you this morning thinking about these fantastic, truthful stories about how you've worked in other people's lives. God, you are reframing right now the the way we think about Luke describing Mary as as a carrier, an ark, carrying God. God, we're rethinking about our own lives because you are in all of our hearts as well, who have received you as Savior. And God, we are in a new and living way, a living temple of God filled by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for loving humans enough that you would take up residence in our lives that's very special to us this morning you are the spirit of Christmas so God help us to be bold like Elizabeth and share the good news that the Savior has come God this morning let us be like Mary and say yes to the will of God Christians in prayer all over this room many are seeking your will God guide them let us be always willing to say yes to you even though we don't know all the details we know you have our best interests at heart God this week especially let us be like Mary and find different moments throughout the week whether we're alone or we're here worshiping on Christmas Eve to lift up a song sing about the goodness of God and the love of God and about how you sent a precious child to be a grown man living Savior that we needed so desperately while heads are bowed and eyes are closed I want to give you a quick opportunity if there's anyone here surely there is in a crowd this large many people who've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior Maybe in this moment, God's Spirit is really speaking to your heart. You feel the guilt of your sin. 
You want it taken away. You want a new life in Christ. You're dissatisfied with the the life you've been living. You know the joy's not there. The peace isn't there. You're just chasing a materialistic consumption lifestyle that's giving you nothing but dissatisfaction. I want to challenge you this morning. Try Jesus. I I mean, open your heart this morning and say, Jesus, I've heard about you today. I've heard about you coming to earth and how you want a relationship. I, I, I would like to say yes to you this morning. If you're there, I mean, if you're ready for that decision, and I, and I think you should be after hearing what you've heard today, if you're there, I want you to receive Christ as your Savior today. And you may be thinking, I don't know exactly how to do that mechanically. Is that like coming forward or making a speech or what is that all about? It's like none of that. It's about praying from your heart to God's ear right now and opening your heart to Him with a definite action of your will and saying, I put my faith and trust in you and receive you as my Savior. Let's do that through a prayer of faith together. I'll I'll help you right now. If you're ready to receive Christ, I want you to pray with me right now, right where you are. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to call you out. I'm not even going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you right where you are to pray with me right now. But make a sincere prayer to God. Pray like this. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you're exactly who the Bible says you are. The Son of God sent to earth to be our Savior. I believe you lived a perfect life and you gave yourself on the cross for me and for the sins of the world. I believe you were buried and you rose again by the power of God to be a living Savior. And this morning I want to confess to you that I'm a sinner. I know you know that, but I I feel like I need to say that to you. I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself. So, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, I put my faith and my trust in you this morning. I receive you into my life as my Lord and Savior. And from this moment, I'm asking you to fill me with your presence Lord, you said you would send the Holy Spirit to live in my life. I pray that you would break forth into my life right now by your power. Come and fill me. Adopt me into your family. From this moment, I am yours and you are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are my King. Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.